Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. I'm your host, Mike Davis, and each week I bring you conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Leaders creating social impact through their work and inspiring positive social change across a wide variety of sectors. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy the next 40 minutes guaranteed to inspire you with our signature blend of wisdom, experience, and banter. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. What makes sense for me to get into that space? And I started to talk to people and I landed on a sector which was around that design thinking, so basically customer-led strategy Yep. because I had a strong background in customer. Yep. I had a sense around growth and channels and it was taking some of that skill set and applying it to more of a kind of upper funnel business strategy focus. Yep. Welcome back to another action-packed episode of Humans of Purpose. First off, a big thank you to our season sponsor, Neon Treehouse, for all their wonderful social media support. Some quick housekeeping news before we kick off today. Firstly, a big thanks to all those who showed up for our 300th episode milestone celebration on Friday night at the Commons. It was a superb evening for all those who attended on the rooftop and great to see so many former guests and current listeners be there to mingle and have a good old-fashioned chinwag. A big thanks to the Commons, V2 Foods and DJ 10PM for sponsoring and supporting the event. For those who missed it, I didn't get a chance to make any sort of speech, too busy holding my son Marlo, so I'll attach a link in the show notes of what I plan to say, and stay tuned on socials too for some great photos from the night itself. Also, in exciting news, we've been selected as a finalist in the Signal Awards 2023 in the Independent or Indie Podcast category. This means we are literally in the final five out of over 2,000 entrants in this global podcast competition. There will be a judge's prize, which we'll find out about in due course, but also a people or listeners popular vote award. If you want to pop in a vote for Humans of Purpose, I'll include a link in the show notes where you can show your support. A big thanks to our previous sponsor, Tank. We have a couple of sponsorship opportunities available before the end of the year, but they'll run out fast. Tank were thrilled with how their campaign went with us, commenting that they saw a lot of inbound interest and a couple of proposals generated. From a social media and content perspective, this has given us a heap of content to play with. It's been great for promotional and lead generation purposes too. So that's from Angus at Tank. To learn more about collaborating on a promotional campaign with us, just check out the information in our show notes or head direct to humansofpurpose.com slash get dash involved. My guest today is Haley Rose. Haley is the co-founder and CEO of Archer. Archer helps clients to de-risk their strategy so that they can confidently launch new ventures, products, or growth tactics. Think of Archer as both an experiment lab and pressure tester for businesses, ideas, strategies, and tactics. This is a great episode to tune into if you're at any sort of career crossroads, as many of us are today, or have thought about taking the road less traveled and scratching the travel itch. Haley has done so much in a pretty short time on the planet, spending time working and living in high-impact and high-velocity industries in New York, Italy, and all over the world, really, for leading brands and companies. There are a lot of gems in this conversation on how to make hard decisions, how to take risks, and how to know when it's the right time to make a life or career move or transition. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Haley as much as I did. So I'm with Haley, and we've just stumbled into a den of innovation and experimentation with our lapel mic blue tacked onto a stand holding a proper mic. How are you? And welcome. 
Thanks for having me, Mark. Is this how you treat all your, all your guests? Only the ones with the best voices for podcasting. Oh, thanks. Stop it. You've heard, you've heard that before, haven't you? A few times. <laughs> Hopefully the face isn't for podcasting as well. <laughs> Great face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're a bit of a veteran of the, the podcast scene then? No, not at all. I just started doing a couple recently, um, maybe only like two with Jules Lund on Disrupt Radio. That's been my feel. <laughs> yeah. You're massive. You against Jules, Mike. Well, you me, against Jules. Me against the world, really. But against that's a the separate world. story. Totally. <laughs> well, it's great to reconnect. I uh, bumped into you a few times at the at the Commons here in Cremorne, and we're at school together, of course, different mm-hmm. years, but just like always good to connect after so long and going down so many different pathways. And on that note, we don't have to go back to school, but tell me a little bit, unless you want to, tell me a little bit about your journey um, mm. and how you find yourself where you are today. Uh, and we'll get to all the amazing things that you're doing now. But a little bit about your career and life journey in the in the years since. Wow, where do you start with such an open question? I guess um, not in the fetus. People have asked that before, so like not in the fetus. Yeah, okay. You're already born. You're a human. Got it. Go from there. Yeah. Got it. Maybe I'll just <laughs> skip school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's an, it's a hard question to sometimes answer because I think we were just talking about this before. Like you try and figure out how you, in a simple way, sum it all up. But I think at the end of the day. I, over the past 15 or so years, have been really curious to kind of learn more about all facets of innovation and growth. So I found myself actually studying science, which is really interesting. I don't even know why I chose it. Mm. I did chemistry at school. I was like, that was fun and never did commerce. I'm like, that sounds great. And then quickly realised that I, after I had to dissect a rat that it probably wasn't my jam. <laughs> and The rat experience is often where people like, Yeah, they lost me. Science. At the cranking of the rat, they lost me. Yeah. Um but basically studied psychology and then found my way into marketing through and was at L'Oreal for a number of years, which was really just a full MBA in marketing. That's like and the zenith of marketing, right? Like yeah. a lot of people talk about L'Oreal experience for marketing. Well, it's not traditional marketing either because it's like a lot of it obviously comes from overseas. So it's quite a hybrid of sales, marketing, but like commercial strategy mm-hmm. as well. We have to pick which products and which SKUs will be working in your market. You have to forecast what they are along in terms of like what you want to be bringing in. Um, and as a grad and even like early on, you get a lot of um, autonomy. So it's an amazing experience. Mm. So that was great. That was my first maybe four or five years of work. And it, it, what did you love about that? I think just the pace. Mm. So coming straight out of uni and feeling like you're part of something big. Mm. Like it's a you say the word L'Oreal, everyone knows where you work, they know the products. Straight away, you know, it's reputable as a brand. Also, you're working in a space that you yourself have interest in. Yeah. Like everyone loves bubbles, be it in yeah. your hair, your face. Um, the dudes working at L'Oreal? Not that many at the time. Yeah. Well, there were, but like it was definitely over-indexed yeah. towards women. Um, and you just work with amazingly smart people. And, yeah, it was honestly it was a great experience. And really the culture was great. The people were amazing. So it was a, honestly the best first job mm. you could ever have. Mm. But then, and this is probably like the the story arc of my career, after four or so years, I kind of got the itchy feet. I was like, I think I've kind of done what I need to do here. What's next? And so, Did you have enough free makeup and lipstick at that point to move on happily? Never. 
Never. One can never have too much. The staff shop is amazing, honestly. I, if anyone's listening and can get me back into that staff shop, please let me know. I Shout miss out. it. Uh, just get your contact details at the I end. I want some Kerastar <laughs> at cost price, please. Just putting it out there to the universe. So you you had to say, like, so you got at your feet after four years and something that we sort of talked about offline a little bit is like that idea of like chapters or, mm. you know, like – you feel that itchiness, you feel a compulsion to, for change or a need for change. What's what's that feel like and what does that sort of compel you to do and mm. how do you know you're at that stage? It's Well, everyone's geared differently. I'm quite curious by nature and I think also quite introspective and sometimes there's just that sense that something doesn't feel right and for a while you can't really place it. You know, nothing's really changed at work that makes you go, oh, it's the catalyst, that's the thing that's, you know, making me not feel good. But you start to not enjoy the day-to-day. You start to look at the tasks that you did previously with excitement in a really mundane way. And you start looking outside and seeing, getting a sense that you want to see what else is out there. I mean, it happens in relationships too, right? It's just that kind of almost like gut instinct that like nothing's really changed, but I feel like I have. Yeah. And so. You got the wandering eye, you know, you sort of like. The wandering eye. Yeah, the wandering eye. I wanted to cheat on my L'Oreal boyfriend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, that kind of happened. And, I mean, a few things were happening personally at the same time, which I think was also a catalyst for change. And I just found myself wanting to really blow my life up in a great way. Like I just wanted like my routine to change, my location to change, and I actually moved myself to New York mm. after never being there and not really having a job. Oh, cool. So that was the the break from L'Oreal, going yeah. to New York? Yeah, so the L'Oreal thing, um, they they often make people go on the road and do sales because yep. I was in the professional division, so dealing with salons, and it just I didn't want to do that for a year. And so that was probably one of the catalysts. Um, and so, yeah, I found myself drawn to New York. I was getting like the similar thing that I mentioned in my professional life. I was feeling in my personal life. I broke up with my boyfriend of four and a half years mm. I had great friends, but I found our interactions small and a bit, you know, lackluster. I wanted to do bigger things and I was looking at events and traveling and a friend, and I'm so thankful for her, said to me, she's like, you need something bigger. Like, I just sense it. Like, you need to do something bigger. nothing bigger than the Big Apple. Nothing bigger than the Big Apple. Mm. So, yeah, made that – that was, I guess, the New York chapter, which professionally was going from – in-house into agency. So I landed a role in digital marketing at an agency which was very niche. It dealt with fashion and entertainment clients. And it was when you could like hack the hell out of Facebook. You know, you could make Facebook apps. And we did a shoppable runway with Versace. And I was in like a closet in Italy, like recording (laughs) something. Like it's not glamorous. Like everyone's like, oh my God, that's amazing. It's like you're literally in the utilities closet. You had me at Versace. I've heard of that before. That's very glamorous. You've had me. Yeah, exactly. Um, so things like that, which are really interesting. Um, and that was an amazing experience into agency world, into digital. And that kind of set the path for me, I guess, in that chapter. So after New York, I mean, two years is like dog years. So for me, it felt like five or 10. Yeah. I ended back into Australia and I was, I went into Isabar. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Isabar. I am. Um, yeah. Before we get to that, talk to me about the pace and merit of an overseas sort of trip uh, to, to work and, you know, mm. discover yourself and also find new pastures and maybe give you that kind of stimulation that you weren't getting here? Yeah. I mean, 
Also for context, I think I was like 23. Yeah. So, you know, I was able to move quite freely yep. without, you know, having... You were unencumbered, as un- I say. Exactly right. Um, I'm a strong believer of the overseas itch. I think that for me personally, the growth was unbelievable. There's nothing quite like landing in a big city, having to find accommodation when you have no... Um, credit score, (laughs) making new (laughs) friends, you know, trying to find a job. Like it's just, it's, you have to level up Mm. and you learn so much about yourself because what happens is you don't have, you have anonymity. No one knows anything about you. You kind of can not start again, but like you can be the version of yourself that you wish you could have been at home because you have that ability. And also just like meeting new people who have really interesting stories and different hobbies. Mm. It just opens your eyes to new things. And how many of the people in New York that you would meet were actually New York natives versus, <laughs> like, people who were there just to meet New York? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there is such thing as a New York native. Cool, yeah, just uh, checking because I don't know. So Yeah, I, I landed with – I was very lucky. I kind of got into the Aussie mafia and there's, like, many different subsets sure. of that. sure. So that was a really great base, but met amazing people who had come from all facets of of life and different parts of the world. Very few. Actually, I don't know if anyone was a New York native. Yeah. Um, Where were you living? I lived all over the place, but generally it was in Manhattan. It was Lower East Side, Nalita, Soho kind of area. Cool. So all east, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was wild. Yeah. I was living between two like very well-known kind of bars. And oh, so yeah. like you'd get ready for work and leave the house and you'd find two people like <laughs> passed out of the doorstep. <laughs> you have to like step over them, you know, like you really have your sex in the city moments. Yeah, those are uh, the old uh, stoops. In the New stoops. York. Yep. I wasn't at the stoops mainly in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just had to vomit induced stairs basically, still not awful. quite a stoop. Still, I'm sure the audience is loving the graphic uh, description of New York life. Well, I have to paint the picture, right? Yeah. So Isobar? <laughs> so Isobar, so... Came back and, yeah, Isobar, so for those who don't know, essentially, it's it, yeah, it's essentially a digital agency, which means a bunch of different things. Mm. But we did communication, so a lot of marketing and advertising. Yeah. We did product creation, so kind of building websites and apps as well. And then also uh, like service design and design, so kind of reimagining experience. So being a strategy director there, you kind of have to do all the things mm. essentially. Yeah. So it was really great. I had a really um, diverse team. So managed I think about 20 or so people at mm. the time and just continued on that journey like I had in America a bit. It was frustrating I think at the start because I felt like Australia was a bit behind yeah, well, um, it is. Well, it is, yeah. <laughs> it still is. And you just like after like six months you kind of forget how far you came. You're like, okay, cool, this is yeah. the pace. I yeah. can do this. Yeah. But even that was a big learning curve. Like I had um, a manager who I'm very thankful for as well who pulled me aside and said, you can't be New York here. Mm. It's different. Yeah. Because I'd had the training from L'Oreal in New York, which is actually very cutthroat. You're told, to, not told, but like – Everyone's pretty short. They're to the point. In L'Oreal, you you sometimes challenge something just for the sake of challenge it, challenging it, and then you end up back at the same point, which be, can be quite frustrating for agency partners that you work with. Yeah. But it's just kind of how you work. Yeah, it's what you're used to, right? And so I was used to that, and so it was quite humbling to then un- learn a different type of professional um, persona. Yeah. And you know, under like being human. Hmm. 
You know, and this, this guy was a friend. He's like, I know what you're like as a person. You have to just break down the New York kind of L'Oreal vibe. That's yeah. not how we kind of work here, which was really interesting. So you had to transform into more of a Melbourne-paced human to be effective at ISOBAR. Yeah. And what, do you, what did you take from the ISOBAR experience? What were the things that you felt that really resonated with you from mm. a sort of career and passion standpoint? Where does it make you want to go next, et cetera? Yeah, so I think – that to me was almost quite similar to L'Oreal where there was such a great group of people across all facets of design, strategy, tech, and we worked really well together. I, Did you spend I, four years there and then that itchy feet again? Yeah, that's exactly the next four itchy years? feet pretty much, yeah. Dude, you're like a parliamentary yeah. democratic cycle. Totally, yeah. yeah. So like the same thing kind of happened to me that happened in L'Oreal. Like yeah. You I, started to feel a bit funny? Yeah, like I went from I went into a management role and I got to manage a bunch of different people. I was working across a lot of different projects. I was able to come up with the process around how we do strategy at Isobar, um, especially in communications. But I just kind of felt like I'd reached the ceiling of where I needed for me, where I needed to be there. Um, and I wasn't getting excited about the projects that were coming through. Yeah. And really, I think the thing, the catalyst for me at this point was, you know, we were working with an automotive company and we weren't seen as their real strategic business partner. We okay. were doing a lot of the stuff around their website and apps and some of the stuff around experience, but they were, did a big business transition and they weren't really listening to us in terms of like what we think the next chapter for them meant. Mm. And that for me was like, I don't want to put lipstick on a pig. I want to be the one in the room that has credentials yeah. that can talk and change, talk about strategy and change the direction of a business's mm. strategy. And so I started to kind of speak to people and have a sense around. I think I know what I you're saying. That. I think what you're saying is um, you had a lot of generalist expertise, but you wanted some depth. No, it's actually not that at all. Okay. It was more that I wanted to get into the room with really senior people and talk about where their business was going. You weren't doing that at ISOBAR? You were more of like an agency partner? We're more an agency partner and we, it could be we were doing campaigns or we were looking at the I what their it. digital platform strategies would be. You were working or on big channels and builds. deliverables rather than being in the room. We weren't saying the nature of your category is changing. Yep. You as a business have yep. changed your direction and no longer yep. have the same values that made you your brand. Yeah. Where should you be going next? What yep. type of cars should you be building? What other value-add experiences yep. should you be offering? Yeah, 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 yeah. Not the more tactical, we've decided to do this, how you do we execute it? wanted to do top-line organisational strategy. I did. Yep. And I was felt really strongly about that. And then it's like, okay, well, what makes sense for me to get into that space? And I started to talk to people and I landed on a sector which was around that design thinking, so basically customer-led strategy yep. because I had a strong background in customer. Yep. I had a sense around growth and channels and it was taking some of that skill set and applying it to more of a kind of upper funnel business strategy focus. Yep. And so I got a job at Fjord, which was part of Accenture, mm -hmm. so a design thinking and innovation firm. Yeah. Um, and I went to Sydney for that. Well, I went to Sydney. I, um, so you returned triumphantly to – oh, no, you were in Melbourne. So. I was in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. I was seeing someone at the time and he was living in Sydney, so this kind of then intersected to nice. that. Yeah. Nice. So then spend time at Fjord but also – within Accenture because it slowly the two kind of merged into one. Tell me a little bit about how you feel the itchy feet. Do you feel it first in your belly or in your mind or kind of hmm. is it, a, is it a, a mental 
frustration or fog that comes over <laughs> you? Is it a belly feel that's a bit more visceral and emotional? I'm just curious. No, it's a good it's a good question. I'm trying to like think about what my answer is. Because I think everyone feels it differently. Like I, I know for me, um, I also start to get that feeling when it's time for change that wait, um, it almost feels like cognitive dissonance mm. you know, with that concept. So, yeah, you know, what's what's happening here does not really feel consistent with why I came here. Um, and, yeah. and like I don't – before it, – it's in the subconscious, but before it comes to the conscious and I'm aware of it, it's in my stomach. Yeah. It's in the gut. Yeah. We're Jews. That's what happens. We're like Jews. That. Yeah, our we are Jews. louder than our mouth. Um, it's a body feeling. Yeah. And as a Jew, you're just trying to eat it away. And then when, when that doesn't work, <laughs> you're left with the feelings <laughs> and regret okay, and shame wow. and yeah. guilt. Uh, <laughs> and your parents are telling you you're not eating enough, but, you know, that's – sorry, I'm just digressing a little bit. But, yeah, so. I think for me – it's not one or the other and mm. it's not clear on what comes first, which I know is not the answer you want to hear, but no. I think they're – I think more the sense, the emotional sense comes first where I'm like, I don't feel right, like I feel out of whack, yeah. you know, like is the only kind of way to yeah. kind of explain it essentially. Yeah. Be it – I'm probably – I'm getting better at listening to my like actual gut in yeah. terms of like that being a marker. Yeah. But I feel for me it's more of the emotional stuff that yeah. I find myself frustrated yeah. or I find myself tired or foggy or just like pissed off pissed generally. off yeah. or like upset or like just feel don't feel right. Yeah. And then I mean I'm over the past probably five or so years I've got a pretty good like introspective practice mm-hmm. where I can go I can almost step away from that and go, cool, like something's up. Yeah. Let's get really curious about what that thing is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you almost have to kind of dissect your life and be like, well, how how is home feeling? Okay. You know, how are relationships feeling? Mm-hmm. How are family feeling? The different buckets almost. The different kind of buckets, like the cornerstones. And yep. then, you know, well, how is work feeling? Like, actually, you know, I haven't been feeling great at work, be it I haven't had that same level of community and interaction that I really like. Yeah. So, like, for me... I'm kind of skipping ahead, but I was at Accenture for many years and I went from Sydney, I went back to Melbourne and something felt off when I went back to Melbourne. Like I missed, there was no, like I missed having people in the office. This is also COVID intersection, but that intersection of work and people and like going to a place that you really enjoy spending like that third place, spending time with and like people are there for me is super important. And it became really clear that that, even if you're doing good work, like that is a really big part for mm. me, which was almost then the catalyst to then make the next change that I made recently. Yeah, that's really interesting. Do you like um, have value, personal values or do you kind of have personal principles that you kind of like articulate or lay out in terms of how you um, make decisions or what, what's the decision-making framework that you use <laughs> or is it just right now it's more intuitive, this feels like the right next step or yeah. you know, a lot of consultation with people. Is it more intellectual? Yeah. I'm not a framework girl, to be honest. Yeah. Like I probably more on intuition. I think I have a process without realising it's a process. Yeah. So I think some of this stuff is innate. Yeah. I think because I am curious in general, that kind of process of picking apart things, yeah. be it for work, be it for whatever, I just do to myself. Yeah. So the whole like convergent, divergent thinking yeah. really. So I just go wide and essentially talk to people, yeah. read up on things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And from that I get a sense around, okay, this is probably the area that I think 
feels yeah. like the right next move yeah. for me. And then you go out again, okay, that's the area. Well, who are the companies in this space? Who are the people in this space that I can speak to? Yeah. How would I logically take my experience and be in that space? Does it make sense? What's my narrative? What's yeah. my story? How do I add value? Yeah. You try and find a person or like uh, as a consultant or someone who's been in consulting and you're obviously the same, like there's sort of like a consulting approach, which is like that basically where it's yeah. like you want to get as many wide and divergent views as possible from different people like mm. around what that thing is that you think you're interested in. Yeah. But you also want to do your own desktop research yeah. and maybe you want to have like a bit of a network map of like the companies and the people in those companies. And then do you then go off and say, that person is a person I want to talk to and like reach out or see if you can get a connection. Yeah, I definitely use LinkedIn for that or just personal network. Yep. Um, I suppose that's one of the best things that you have and employ I have as well from like moving around a little bit. Yeah. Like when you work in chapters across big organisations. Yeah, you, very fortunate for you that. globally. Like yeah, you, and globally. Amazing networks. Yeah. yeah, so because I spent time in London, New York, LA, Sydney. A closet in Venice as well. A closet. Yeah, who could forget yeah. the closet in yeah. Venice? Yeah. yeah, exactly right. Yeah, um, me and Donatella are really we're tight. <laughs> 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 she was not in there with me. She DB was definitely yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I've I know people across the industry, and also it's funny you just never know where people end up. Like even around Cremorne, the number of people I've seen from Isobar days or whatever yeah. that are now doing super interesting, amazing things. And shout out to Stephen Graham, great bloke, great guy. We love Steve. Yep. Yeah. Steve's a great guy. It's important to insert his name in because then maybe he'll come on the podcast. Steve, Steve, Yeah, Steve. if we say it enough, yeah. it'll happen. He'll probably he'll, he'll probably want to come on anyway. He'll come on. He loves to chat. Yeah, he loves to chat. Yeah, we'll get him on. Don't worry. Great bloke. Easy. Um, yeah, so that gives me a good sense of how you make decisions and then how you think. And then you sort of get to a point after Isobar where you're, you've done – sorry, you've done Accenture, you've done Fjord, mm. and then – the next frontier, if you might sound like digital health. Yeah, and I can explain maybe how I even got there, which um Yeah, I want to make, hear that. Yeah. I want to hear the process. Yeah. So after being Accenture and kind of moving around a little bit, so I landed in the growth and business design team. So we worked with big corporates and helped them navigate the question of what next. Yeah. So like what's the opportunity spaces that we should be exploring? Yeah. What would we be doing in those spaces? Yeah. And how can we get something small out there to test if there's demand or if we could make this thing work? And if it is, let's go spin it off and it can become a thing essentially. Yep. I love my team and enjoyed the space in which we were in, but I also found myself frustrated by the lack of pace of corporate innovation, also the lack of I guess, commitment to it. Mm. So at any point funding could be blocked because they ha they wanted to pour it into BAU yeah. activities yeah. and also just the lack of confidence to take a bit of a risk as well, which obviously they've got big brands and yeah. whatever. And so I found myself wanting to get closer to the action, the founder, the product. And so I took I, I spoke to my boss, who's lovely, and said, look, I need to just shake things up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Also, personally, having moved back from Sydney, um, having 
COVID and that experience, I just felt like after I'd come out of the fog of that, I just needed to have that other big yeah. change. Did you get COVID or just you mean during COVID? No, I mean during COVID. Yeah. And so I found myself wanting to get closer to like the startup ecosystem. And so what I did in that, well, firstly, actually. Well, that's the right fit. So let's just take it back a little bit. So I think you're focus you, you've talked a lot about innovation and customer focus and that mm. kind of thing and that 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 for me is like a very logical reason why you would want to be more involved in the startup community yeah i was just also curious like mm. i think coming from the corporate innovation space there's no community you're not part of anything necessarily and i had spent a lot of my career understanding the nuances of corporate and how they work yeah but i wanted to also learn the other part of innovation, which is a scrappier part of innovation, yeah. which is when, like, you have an idea. Constrained you don't innovation have the as well. Yeah. Yep. And I actually spoke to Conrad, who was a managing partner of Shadow Boxer, where yep. he works, yep. who was the managing – was, sorry, the, heading up Isobar. So, yep. again, like an old contact of mine. He's yep. also a dear friend. Oh, geez, I'd love to see your little black book and roller <laughs> And he just said, like, come work with us. Like, I know what you do. Let's just see if there's something you can add value to. Yep. I'd been in LA for a holiday and actually really loved it. Mm-hmm. And they were looking at exploring the US market. Yep. And so said, do you want to go over to the US and see how we could make Shadow Boxer work over there? Yeah. <laughs> that was four months of my year last year. That's so cool. Which was so much fun and Looking, you know, getting into the startup ecosystem over there with no brand resonance or personal yeah, network, yeah, yeah. trying to figure out where we would play, what the offer would be, yeah. who we needed to connect to, how we would get work. Yeah. Even so map- interesting. the ecosystem and everything. Yeah, really, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's very um, concentrated. Yeah. And yeah. So the, the model that was working in Australia became very clear that it wouldn't work in the US. Yep. And so we... In mapping and what what would work, both kind of agreed that it was not the right time. It would require a big focus, a big investment, and they were very early on in the market and yep. wanted to double down on Australia. And so I found myself for the first time not employed, which was a really strange feeling. Yeah. We should talk about that. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a really strange feeling because, like, you know, me transitioning out of a role as well can certainly relate to that. Um, and I think – like, because we talk, you've talked very intentionally, and I think I'm a bit intentional about like, you know, making the next move or having a clarified next move before you end what you're currently doing. Yeah. But then like every now and then, and it happens a lot for other people, I believe, who are probably less focused or, mm. you know, worried about security, that they do have these periods where they just like kind of at loose ends a little bit. Yeah. And they've got to almost like invent a bit of a compass for themselves or find their their way and yeah. find themselves into different things. Yeah, it's really it's funny. There are people I think who gravitate towards risk and there are those who are terrified by risk. Yeah. And I think as someone who's very curious, I thought I was really happy to take a risk, but I realized in that moment that I was terrified. Yeah. Terrified. And but also energized. So it's kind of an interesting transition. But yeah, it's Ten- tenergized. Yeah, sure. That's that's a new word. That's a new Terri- word. Terrified and energized. Tenergized. It, it can be both. Can't yeah, it? it is. And it was also just an innate sense that this is right. Yep. Like I had no idea what was going to happen. Yep. But I was like, this is it. And so I was on a family holiday overseas. It was January. January's always very quiet. 
And I literally came up with the concept of Archer and put a landing page together in a day and just did it and was just like, here's my business. I'm now consulting. Let's go. I'm open for business, baby. Open Come for business, me. baby. Yeah. Like I just, I wanted to do the opposite of what I'd done for others, which was overthink and yep. just basically put something out there and see what happened. Yep. Iterate, test, all the things that, you know, you talk about. Experiment. Experiment. It was a big yep. experiment. And for for a number of different reasons, and it's been a real journey. So it's been I've had I was very lucky to work with City of Melbourne as a first client, yep. which again was really lucky. A, a great friend of mine who I worked with then was in uh, two of them actually are there, so they recommended me in. Um, and it was a great first project and brought in two people to work for Archer. And that was kind of got the momentum going. Mm. But at the same time, also, if anyone is in the consulting space at the moment, especially at the start of the year, it was slow. It was hard. People, you know, and probably still now, aren't looking necessarily for big strategic shifts. Mm. They're keeping the lights on. I mean, they should be looking at what's next because it's the best time to actually be innovating. But again, that kind of fear mentality about risk when risk is on the table, you kind of want to go to what's safe. And That's so right. I didn't think – I thought I would have heaps and heaps and heaps and heaps of freelancing staff and it was just a very different um, uh, way to spend time. Like some months were busier than others, but it gave me other time to then focus on building, you know, getting curious, meeting yeah. different people, speaking to founders, speaking to businesses, being part of the startup ecosystem and you've mentoring done like in that. Airtree, Blackbird, you've done a lot of cool startup mentoring yeah. stuff as well. And Techstars actually in LA. Techstars. I was one there for like the health tech accelerator, yep. which is really interesting. Yep. And then worked with the girls from Kick, so Steph Claire Smith and Laura Henshaw as part of the SBE accelerator mm-hmm. in their global cohort. Yep. So as they prepared for Series A, like yep. helping them shape that narrative and like the product strategy. Yep. And look, this stuff is really rewarding. Like, it's the best. It's I, I really find it good. Really exciting. Yeah, it is, and it's exciting to see people who are in their business and really passionate, but also realize that sometimes all your, you know, coming from consulting, the process and like the lengthy things that you would suggest to a corporate just don't apply. And sometimes it's a bit of innovation theater or mm. innovation buffer that sometimes you don't need it all. Yeah. Sometimes you're better to go, okay, like what is enough at this point? Yeah to get to the next point. Yep. And just learning about that was really interesting and a perspective that I didn't have when I was in it and had huge budgets and mm. big teams. Yeah. You can't tell a founder to do four weeks of customer interviews no. costing $300 each to recruit people. I, I was amazed at like the lack of founder support, runway and cash available to just do general stuff that you would do you'd think it's just a basic good idea. Yeah. Like they're just not supported to do a lot of that work. They're not. And it's really hard because my business was perfectly geared towards founders. Yeah. But commercially I wasn't in the luxury of making that work. Yeah. So have been working more closely with corporates Mm. and helping founders more as like a mentorship space. Yeah. And I think that's the way to do it and I think that's what the space needs at the moment. But, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to hear your thoughts on like things slowing down in the consulting space and being a bit patchy and, you know, that reversion to short-termism and BAU Mm. rather than like – because I always think when everyone else is standing still, that's when you should be innovating because it's just – Obvious, like it's like you know, everyone else is so concerned about this fin year. What about the next three fin years? But like, I also think it's easy to say that. Like I put myself in their shoes, and I think that you know, all right, 
my runway is short. Mm. I've had to cut a bunch of staff. Yep. I am not certain that I'm going to be able to sell enough of whatever product and service that I do to yep. make ends meet. And then you're telling me to innovate. Like there's only so yeah. much you can do. So it's I th- true, but but I also think like the the, the opposite's also true. Like portfolio and just like uh, thinking in bets. So like you know, ha- why would you if you knew that you're in a tough year, but you plan to still be existing at the end of that year? Why would you not place a bet on what happens after that first year? I can say that I, I, I agree, but I'm putting myself. Yeah. Like, I'm that person. We're, we're at both the helm. still banning the opposite arguments. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I you're telling me that. And I think it takes a certain leader to be able to be comfortable with that. Or someone who has the ability to work with someone who's outside of their business and can see it. Yeah. Because even in mine, like I'm in it and I consult as a profession. You need to innovate more. You're thinking too short term. I need to innovate more. I know. I know. I need to get into, I need to AI. Can I run an experiment workshop for you? Sure, please. Can you? I'd love that. (laughs) Let's talk about that a little bit because I think that's a really cool thing that I first noticed that you were doing through Archer. So I used to love running random masterclasses. Mm. Yours isn't random, but mine was more like I don't really know what people want, but enough people have said to me that they like to know this about what I do. Maybe I'll start running workshops on that. Like that was sort of my idea of how to do things. Yeah. What was yours with the experiment? Mine was – a bit of credibility in a sales funnel. So I had to look at my business and work out how I would be getting it out there. And in ways that I felt comfortable, we talked about the whole like talking direct to camera as a business influencer. Like Mm. it gives me a bit of an ick. Something you could do it. I'm not there yet, but maybe. But it just didn't feel right for me at that point. Um, And so like, okay, like what feels like, what do I feel comfortable with? And because the notion of experimentation is a bit different, and not everyone understands what it is. Yeah. So it was born out of the fact of helping people understand the work that I did yep. for them to see whether or not it would add value to what they needed, basically. Yep. And so I did, I put together the masterclass, which helped people understand what experiments are, the value of what they are as well, and then gave them logical tools and processes and templates to use if they wanted to run it. And it was a great way to build up credibility for Archer and the work that I did and I ran them like online and was very like fortunate to have all those startup communities actually getting their people to join and so it had 100 people join for an hour mm. for an online masterclass, wow. which was great. That's that was really my good. first one. That's really good. Yeah, and then I've just been doing them in-house with corporates and did one with the Australian Institute, no, what's it called, Um uh, Australian-Israeli Chamber of Commerce. Ooh, AICC. AICC, the, the young guys. professionals. Yeah. So we did that as a really um, intimate boardroom lunch, mm-hmm. but it's something now that's just become part of my business model. I love it. Uh, running the masterclasses and then there's also, which is like the education bit, and then there's another kind of session which is more the deep dive to say let's pick a focus area or a se- several focus areas and basically at the end of this session – you'll have a roadmap of experiments that you could run over the next three to six months to help you de-risk your riskiest assumptions. I love it. I think it's so cool that you've done that. You've actually inspired me to get back into the masterclass game. I've got one that I'm I'm playing with and actually many people ask me about it and to do it. And I think it's, it's a weird one. It's a really like basic obvious one mm-hmm. like and I don't like the name of it so I'll change the name but effectively the concept is how to network good 
Oh, we were talking about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you need to change the name. Yeah, well, even the, well could be better than good. That <laughs> <laughs> was still like a pun, but like you know, like um, maybe it's had a network. It's not even network. It's good like it's like it might be like don't network, build good relationships. Yeah, um, which actually sounds a bit like Napoleon Hill's think and grow. Mm-hmm. I don't really like that. So I'd have to play with it a little. Just bit. ask ChatGPT for a few permutations. Yeah, and see get on back. the Bard and GPT and just see what yeah. they come up with. Anyway, like I think the masterclass model is great. That aside. Coming back, one thing I am curious about and maybe our listeners would also be curious about because there's a lot of people now in this position. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but it seems like there's a lot of people randomly um, in between jobs yeah. or just making an intentional shift or yeah. just exploring something different, feeling the itch. Um, I know like for the first time in my life, I know like several people around my age, you're wonderful and much younger, but you know, like other people who are just sort of like, oh, for the first time I am not in a role or I'm mm. doing something different. What what approach did you take to that to give yourself sort of some guardrails or sort of some like um it might feel overwhelming to some people yeah. to have that. So I'm just curious about what you did and also what you might do differently or advise others to do differently to what you did to yeah. sort of cope with that um, shift. Yeah, and I'll be really honest. There was a period not that long ago, a few months ago, I wasn't coping. Mm. I, I was finding it really difficult. I'll get to that in a second. Yeah. I think for me it was setting a bit of an intention around, well, if I'm taking this time to work for myself, like what are the things that light me up Yep. and trying to figure out what they were. And I'm, like for me, I was like looking at I really enjoy doing X, Y, and Z, which was like the mentorship stuff. But it was very clear that that wasn't a commercial wasn't like decision. Or, yeah. So then it was okay. Well, if I get it's almost like business planning. If I get two corporate cornerstone clients, the rest doesn't matter. The mm. rest then just becomes a bit of a playground for things that interest me. Yeah. And so then I became really focused on okay. Well, if I get the cornerstone one, then I can do the other things. So yeah. then I became, okay, I'm going to go hard into looking at corporates who need my services. Yeah. And so then when I found that, I then said, okay, well, then I've got a bit more time to then do the other exploratory things. Yeah. I think it was around looking at, you know, finances is a big part as well. Like what's my runway? Yeah. I didn't feel comfortable getting really into my savings. Mm-hmm. So I worked at my runway and from there just basically said, or at any point, if I'm getting too close, I'll go back to Accenture and I just haven't got there yet. Yeah. So with that, I kind of, yeah, had guardrails around that I think a little bit and then I found myself freaking out because I was like, I don't know what the future is. I don't know when my next paycheck is. This is really overwhelming and you have like all these meetings which seem great and you're putting proposals together yep. and then nothing happens. Yep. And then so I was kind of, I found myself spiraling and, you know, it it kind of, it brings up a lot of your own personal insecurities. Totally. So I think it's about noticing things that are way beyond just work, Yeah. you know, and you have to be prepared for that. I messaged you two weeks ago and I was like, I'm feeling a bit weird. Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah. And then like that's gone now. But there are a lot of emotional ups and downs. There is. And it's just being okay with that. And I think it's just like. I've actually been learning a bit about Kabbalah, which is a whole thing in itself. Yeah. My friends in LA, it's very LA. But it's a really uh, part of the theory is around like you need to, you're given these moments which are really difficult for you to understand the thing that you need to heal. And in that moment, you have to understand, you can like, you almost step away from it and say, what's the lesson here? Yeah. I'm feeling X. Okay, why? Get inquisitive. What's the lesson? Mm. And then realize that like once you change your mindset or see it as a challenge and yeah. like rise above it, you get to the next stage. Yeah. And so you've got to have moments which are really hard. Yeah. And it's just about like, you know, looking at it 
somewhat objectively and being like, what needs to change here? Or is this just part of the process? I know you need to go, but if I can extrapolate two good lessons from what you've just said, the first one would probably be like discipline equals freedom. So that whole idea that, you know, if you get this or this is the wrong way, so this is what I need to do to give myself the freedom to do what I want to do. Yeah. Very valuable concept. Guardrail number two would be having your foundation or cornerstone philosophy to support you through anything. Yeah, so I love you've, that. you've got Kabbalah, I've got Stoicism. I, I wouldn't say that. I've got Kabbalah. It's just a thing that it's I'm curious about. It's a thing that you're about. curious about yeah, right now. But one like, of my things. The same with me. Like, you know, Stoicism has been my thing for a little while. The final thing, uh, which is a Stoic thing that I'll add in, is like the obstacle is the way. So, you know, like, you know, finding your way through yeah. these moments gives you a sort of like a, an enhanced sense of self and yeah. also that belief that you can then tackle your next moments. Totally. And mountains too. I love that. Thanks for being with me. Pleasure. This has been awesome. Um, how can people connect with you and learn more about your amazing work and hit you up? Uh, wearearcher.co or Haley at wearearcher.co. Awesome. Thanks for being with me. Pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player and why not share it with a friend or two? If you want more from your Humans of Purpose experience, become a Humans of Purpose member today through our new platform, Supercast. All you need to do is hit the link in our show notes. If you have a message to share with our audience about your brand, products, or services, we have a wide variety of paid promotional packages available. Please get in touch by hitting the link in our show notes.